cannot rely on the industries of the 20th century, which were our fishing and our timber. We have to find a way to thrive in the 21st century. And here at Beacon Broadband, we believe that the broadband is going to be the catalyst to be able to create a thriving economy on the South Coast of Oregon. Welcome to episode 472 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I am Sean Gonsal, senior reporter and editor, sitting in for the vacationing Christopher Mitchell. He will be back this week and will return to the airwaves for the next episode. So there's still time for our listeners to send in a bunch of emails to tell him what a fabulous job we've done since he's been gone. Today, we are going to look at the work of a cooperative in the beautiful state of Oregon. And so that is why we are joined by Paul Reckonzone, the general manager for Beacon Broadband, which is the broadband subsidiary of Kuskari Electric Cooperative. Welcome to the program, Paul. Thank you, Sean. And we also are joined by my colleague here, Marin Macklis, who wrote our story on, on MuniNetworks.org about CCEC that we published in May. We're pleased to have Marin with us as well. Welcome, Marin. I'm pleased to be here. Glad to be chatting with you folks. So we're going to have Marin jump in throughout to help us out and to flesh out this discussion. But just to get us started, Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about you and how you got to Beacon Broadband? Well, thank you. I've been working in broadband development for probably 15 or 16 years. Uh, the long story in, a, in an abbreviated version is when I graduated from college with an English degree from the engineering school, the University of Nevada, Reno, uh, I didn't know what to do. So I joined the Army, spent about seven years in the Army learning how to be a local area network engineer. Hmm. After doing local area network engineering for about 15 or 20 years, I bumped into uh, the city of Payson, Utah, where in Payson, they were participating in the Utah Telecommunication Open Infrastructure Agency Project, or Utopia. Utopia. Uh, and I got so enamored with what Utopia was doing that I called them up and I said, you guys need a project manager. And they said, yes, we do. So I spent uh, seven to 10 years as project manager on the Utopia project. Uh, then I spent another seven years uh, as an independent consultant doing broadband development work for municipalities. Uh, and that, led, that landed me here on the south coast of Oregon in this beautiful rainforest that I live in now. Uh, and when I got here, I started reaching out to Coos Prairie Electric Cooperative and saying, you know, I've been working with counties and states and cities to try to get them to develop broadband. And I haven't really done where the real root of this work comes from, which is going to be the electric cooperatives. The electric cooperatives across this country are the ones that are going to be driving a significant amount of broadband development over the next uh, probably decade, two decades. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Utopia Fiber, of course, is something that, you know, we're very familiar with. And Chris has had uh, various folks from Utopia on here quite a bit. And I know, you know, in the early years, it was a bit of a struggle for Utopia and now things are businesses are booming and um, you, you um, it, it's, it, they've done, they've, they're doing fabulous work. And, and also, you know, you talking about, you know, your background working with counties and municipalities and, and then cooperatives. And I think, you know, you hit the nail right on the head just in terms of how well positioned cooperatives are to, to deliver broadband uh, across, uh, you know, across their ser service territories. I mean, I, you know, that was one of the reasons why we were um, excited with the infrastructure bill and, and how 
initially the thought was there was going to be prioritizing electric co-ops in municipalities. It looks like that has kind of taken a back seat, but still electric co-ops, I think, are going to still play a pivotal pivotal role in bringing broadband to uh, to lots of folks. Cooperatives absolutely will be playing a pivotal role, regardless of whether the uh, infrastructure bill puts us in the forefront or, or just allows us access to the funding. Uh, more and more electrical cooperatives across the nation are recognizing that broadband is the next essential service. And just like Coos Creek Electric Cooperative determined that 85 years ago, a group of people could not get electricity into the Sitcom Valley of Oregon. Today, those, their descendants, in fact, the grandson of Coos Curry's founder is one of our pre-registrants. And he lives in his grandfather's house. Wow. He cannot get broadband. He can get electricity now because of his grandfather's work, but he cannot get broadband services. So we're excited to be able to eventually bring fiber to his house and give him uh, synchronous gigabit Ethernet. That's that, that's terrific. Maren, come on and jump on in here. Yeah, I was wondering, Paul, like, can you just describe for our listeners what the region kind of looks like, what Coos and Curry County look like? Because you've described it as like a, a rainforest canopy, I think. And I think yeah. it's really interesting to learn more about that oh. part of the country. Yeah, it is so gorgeous here on the south coast of Oregon. If anybody, if anybody listening to the podcast has not had the opportunity to come and visit us here on the south coast, I would throw out there and say, you ought to come out here. Uh, we're not a tropical rainforest, of course. We don't have you, par you know, parrots and whatnot, but we are a rainforest. We, we have uh, uh, an evergreen forest that is absolutely gorgeous. We have ferns that grow taller than, uh, than, a, than an adult not taller than a child, but taller than an adult ferns <laughs> will grow. You can walk 15 feet off of the, off of the uh, highway and you're in a completely different world. Um, it is just absolutely gorgeous. We are quite isolated. We, um, we are uh, two and a half hours from a regional airport. Uh, to get to Portland International Airport, which is the, the nearest large airport or mid-sized airport uh, from the northern part of our service territory. It's a four-hour drive. From the southern part, it's a six-hour drive to get to a, a major airport. Wow. We have no interstates through our service territory. Uh, we have a couple of uh, state highways that run through our, through our service territory, but we're really a very uh, geographically isolated and uh, environmentally gorgeous area. And so to bring broadband into that, to be able to take the light on the fiber and transform our environment the same way the light coming through the fog transforms our environment is going to be just a critical thing for the businesses and the residents, the school children, and, and every aspect of, of people's lives here on the South Coast. It is a beautiful area. And how many people live in those counties? So Curry County has 20,000 people and Coos County has just over 60,000. Uh, we do not serve the entirety of Coos County. So we're going to be, we have, we're going to be passing about 18,000 addresses. Okay. And historically, so I'm, I'm interested for you to tell us a little bit about the, the electric co-ops history actually. Yeah. So Ivan Laird, 85 years ago, couldn't get electricity to his farm in the Sitcom Valley. Uh, he went to the privately owned power company at the time and, and they refused. They simply refused to provide him service. 
and he recognized that he was not the only one. He went to his neighbors. They had town hall meetings and they, they gathered together and they created the Coos Prairie Electric Cooperative. At, at that time, it was the Coos Electric Cooperative because it was only in Coos County. Uh, and then through a series of acquisitions and mergers and growth, uh, we became Coos Curry Electric Cooperative. We provide all of the electricity in Curry County uh, and any of the unincorporated areas on the southern uh, three quarters of Coos County uh, is uh, Coos Curry Electric Cooperative. A uh, total of 20,000 meters, 18,000, or I'm sorry, 14,000 uh, individual subscribers. Um, and one of the things that I really like about Coos Cray Electric Cooperative is 87% of its, or yeah, 87% is hydroelectric power and about 10% is nuclear power. Uh, Coos Cray Electric Cooperative only uses 3% carbon producing power uh, to serve these two counties. Wow. I mean, I mean, you know, especially in this world that we're living in now. It, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That's a big deal. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, the industries there, I mean, historically had been lumber. Is that right? Yeah. Historically, lumber and fishing. Those were the two key industries on the south coast of Oregon. Uh, fishing is still a pretty prevalent industry, but because of the large, just like in the rural farms across America, there's been consolidation into corporate farming. A lot of the fishing is consolidated as well. And so we don't have the fish processing plants that we used to have. A lot of that processing is being done on a corporate ship instead of being brought back to the uh, back to the port and being processed on land. Uh, and then the timber industry has really taken a one-two punch uh, in in uh, the people get mad at me when I say the very good benefit of environmental activity uh, to preserve some of the. Uh, the old growth forests that we have and other things of that nature. But just furthermore, just the uh, from a employment status, it used to be 50 years ago, if you were going to be cutting a, a, a section of forest, you built a, a lumber camp and you brought in 400 men and you cut down the trees and then it worked. It was incredibly difficult work. And today, five guys can do what 50 years ago it took 450 guys to do. Um, and so the, just from a labor perspective, from just a manpower, it's still incredibly intense work. And I have a huge amount of respect for those people who work in the timber industry. But from a manpower perspective, the, the manpower has reduced hugely, which has created a significant economic impact on the south coast of Oregon. As we talk about the industries that are available here, uh, we cannot rely on the industries of the 20th century, which were our fishing and our timber. We have to find a way to thrive in the 21st century. And here at Beacon Broadband, we believe that the broadband is going to be the catalyst to be able to create a thriving economy on the south coast of Oregon. Indeed, indeed, yes, yes, and and now, so I'm wondering because in, in a lot of our coverage with other cooperatives, we've come to see that many of the cooperatives initially got into fiber to you know for their SCADA systems and to and and to really to monitor their utility systems and 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 provide for better efficiencies. I'm wondering, is that a similar story there? I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that for our cooperative, that's an also ran. Uh, they they need that. They believe in it. They they look forward to having the fiber to improve their management of the system. But we're we're a little bit different than a lot of cooperatives 
because regardless of whether we have better controls through our, our SCADA system, we're still going to have the same staffing. It's not going to save us any staffing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we do want to improve the controls. But when we were meeting with the board of directors to try to uh, doing the analysis of uh, should we get into the broadband business, uh, we, we did not include that as a high value. We did an analysis as to what it could potentially save the cooperative. But in the end, the thing that convinced the board of directors um, after we were able to show them that we could at least not lose money, not necessarily make money, but at least not lose money. The thing that convinced the board of directors, there were, there were two elements. The first element was, is that we were committed to bringing relatively similar service to all of the Coos Curry members. So we weren't going to cut some people off with a fiber uh, to, to wireless solution. We were going to bring fiber to everybody. And that was a critical element for our board of directors. The second thing was, was the promise that this can be a transforming technology for the South Coast of Oregon. The, the, the board was very, and it still is, very enamored with the idea that broadband can bring the same types of changes, the same change in the, in the economic vitality and the education vitality and the cultural vitality, the reduction of isolation. They're very engaged that fiber can provide those benefits to their members. And so that those are the things that really drove our uh, board of directors to approve the project. I, I mean, it's really interesting, and 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 especially what you said about, you know, that commitment to serving, you know, every member of the cooperative versus sort of having different, you know, technological solutions, et cetera. You know, that's mm -hmm. one of the things too with cooperatives that I think distinguishes cooperatives' approach and 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 their. Uh, then when you have, you know, sort of, a, you know, just a private broadband provider who's sort of looking yeah. to, you know, maximize dollars um, and and which oftentimes leaves out sectors of communities um, that where it's not economical to build. Sean, I have to concede that in, in some cases that makes perfect sense. Some cases you that's what you should do. That's what you have to do. Uh, we, have, we we went and visited a number of cooperatives as we were building our feasibility case. And, and some of the cooperatives we visited do have a hybrid fiber to the premises slash wireless network. And, and some of them that we visited have elected to uh, expand beyond their borders before they completed building to all of their members. And have some of them have even conceded that it's unlikely they will ever build to all of their members. Each yeah. cooperative is going to have a different business case and a different driving reason for why they're doing it. I, I'm general manager for Beacon Broadband, so of course I'm gonna say our reasons are the best. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to. I don't want anybody listening to the podcast or any other cooperative that's out there going, "Oh man, we we simply can't bring fiber to everyone, so we're not going to do it." That's not the message. The message that I want to present is our board of directors said that these were the things that were driving for them. Great, great, great points. Well said. Well said. I, I promise I'm going to let Marin jump back in here, but I just wanted to back up just a tiny bit in terms of the sort of the broad sort of timeline. So when when you first started considering, uh, you know, offering broadband services ar around what year are we talking? And then and then how long did it take you to get to the point where you were ready to start building? Right. So Coos Curry started the very first feasibility study in 2018. Uh, 2019, we came to a decision that this was something that we were going to do. Uh, we uh, created Beacon Broadband in June of 2020. 
um, and then got full approval from the board to move forward when we uh, participated in the RDOF auction and became what we, we were selected for some RDOF funding in November of 2020. Uh, and then the board approved us. And then finally, and then Mary's going to jump in here. Give, give us a sense of what, what kind of uh, internet service provider options were there prior. To right. So in about 80% of our service territory, we have um, uh, service from Charter Spectrum, uh, which is a reasonably good service. They, they have a 400 megabit over something service. They don't advertise what their upload speeds are. Um, they have a 400 over something service that they offer, which is reasonably good. Uh, the other one when we first started was Frontier. Frontier sold their Northwest assets to a company called Zipley. Zipley is actually installing fiber in some of the communities here on the South Coast of Oregon now, and they offer a reasonably good service as well. About 80% of our member base can get reasonably good internet service from either Charter or Zipley. 20% have nothing. They can get the satellite and many of them can't get satellite because we're in an incredibly rugged terrain, mm. a heavily forested, incredibly rugged terrain. Mm -hmm. uh, so I regularly have people calling me up and saying, yeah, we can't even get uh, HughesNet because we can't see the satellite. Right. So we have a significant population that has absolutely no option for broadband service. And, and again, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this. Uh, if, if we were only talking, in fact, we had several conversations uh, leading in the feasibility about why would we do this when 80% of our members already have reasonably good access to broadband? Does it make sense for the cooperatives to spend $60 million on a project to get to 20% of its members? Um, and, and the answer was, well, it, it, it does. Uh, and not just to get to that 20% of members, but to extend the high-speed broadband, the high-speed fiber experience where no one else will go. So yeah, Zipley's gonna bring fiber into downtown Brookings and Beacon Broadband's gonna bring fiber into downtown Brookings. But as we extend fiber into downtown Brookings, we want to extend the experience into our customers' lives. Mm -hmm. Marin, I know you've got a couple of yeah. questions. Why don't you jump on in here? Yeah. Well, something that really like stuck out with me in the several times that we've uh, talked about what you all are doing is just, um, you know, something that you actually just mentioned, like community investment, caring about the community, being accountable to the community. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you're doing to try and help with this project yeah. specifically? Yeah. So thank you, Marin. I sure appreciate that. So again, one, because we are trying to transform the economy, we did. We have a, a local hire requirement for all of our construction vendors. At least, uh, it's not a huge requirement, but, but at least 15% have to be from this local area on their crews. Uh, and so that's part of what we did. We were just talking about splicing, in fact, today. And we were talking about uh, rather than bringing in a splicing company from outside, who should we build the splicing capability here on the South Coast of Oregon? And that's a risk that we're probably going to end up taking to be able to build that skill set here. Uh, and, and then to go beyond the, the construction and the management of the broadband fiber network. We're working with uh, Southwest Oregon Community College, and, and uh, we, we got the community college hooked up with Utah State University, and Utah State University has an exceptional online workforce uh, certification program. 
And so now Southwest Oregon Community College is going to be an affiliate program of that University of Utah, of the, or the Utah State University program. And we're gonna be able to offer a remote working certification right here on the South Coast of Oregon. Uh, uh, in addition to that, we're working with, again, the um, South, the community college, and we're working with the South Coast Development Center and the Small Business Development Center. Uh, we have a 10,000 square foot building that we lease here in Harbor, and there's 17 of us. I mean, we rattle around here in like beans in a Morocco. Uh, and so we're going to take some of that excess space that we have, and we're going to create a co-work facility uh, and an entrepreneurial incubator focusing incubation on broadband-based types of businesses. Uh, we have another facility up in Coquille, and we're going to do the same thing. So we're going to extend, we're going to take this broadband service that we offer and extend it beyond just offering the broadband service and say, this is how it changes our lives. This is how it, it revitalizes our economy. This is how it brings the world to us and extends us into the world. That's great. Yeah. So the last time that we spoke, you know, you all had broken ground in April. Um, and you were just kind of, I think, starting the build-out process. What, like, where are you at now with everything? I think, I think that if you ask all of us across the nation that question right now, we're all going to say materials delays are wiping us out. Uh, and, and we're yes. in that same boat. Materials delays are wiping us out. We have about two miles built now. Woo! <laughs> we have 1,400 miles that we're going to build. In fact, I, someone asked me for, to update. We have this graphic that shows our progress, right? And some, uh, my, my marketing person asked me, can we update the graphic? And I said, can you show 0.02% completion on that? <laughs> and, and that's where we are. We have, we're, we're just getting started. We will, we got delayed yeah. on our launch of our pilot test area because of um, a, a variety of materials delays. Uh, we will have our first live customers uh, up and running next month. Uh, in our pilot test area. Uh, we're going to continue to build aggressively beyond the pilot test area and hopefully get paying customers up before the pilot test free service time is done. So uh, we are so far behind in order to give you the short answer, Marin. Yeah, yeah, it seems it, it seems that, you know, these supply chain issues are, you know, affecting a lot of communities in terms of, you know, their, the yeah. timetable in, in the build out. How, but how long do you expect the build out to take though? You know, kind of once you, once you, once you get things really rolling. Our original schedule was to go in two and a half years to get the 1400 miles of fiber done. That's an incredibly aggressive schedule mm -hmm. uh, with the supply chain problems that we're looking at. We have a number of, uh, of processes that we're putting in place that will diminish the supply chain problems. Okay. We're just buying a, boatload of material is the process. We're not going to try to do just-in-time delivery anymore. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and, and exacerbate the supply issues by buying a whole bunch of stuff that we don't need right now. Mm -hmm. Just so everybody else out there knows, you, you should probably be doing the same thing to make my life more difficult since I'm going to be making yours more difficult. But anyway. Um, right. Become the most hated man in broadband. All, all, of us, all of us are doing the same thing. We're all buying everything right. that we need right now because... We can't rely on a timeline any longer. There's a real shortage because we have to overcome that real shortage. We're all buying a bunch of stuff that's exacerbating the shortage. Right. I, and I was expecting that, you know, that that was going to be a problem for, you know, cooperatives and and and, and other uh, 
municipal network builders, but I even think I've read recently that AT&T was having a hard time. They usually are at like, companies like that are at like the front of the line. And even, it, I think it's messed up some of their timelines. And so it's it's a massive issue. It has. So yeah, supply chain issues are biting us. So we're going to probably do instead of two and a half, three years, we're probably looking at about a four year build to get our 1400 miles in. We have such desperate demand in our in our community that we still want to just pull the bandage off as fast as we possibly can. Uh, and as soon as we can get all of our processes cycling and our engine running on all cylinders, uh, we're going to build this uh, at 20 miles per week or faster. And so you also have secured, it's 14 million through RDOF funds? About 14 million of RDOF money that we'll be getting. The total project cost is about $60 million. We still have a number of unserved or underserved areas that are unfunded because they're the partial census blocks that the federal government has never been able to figure out how to fund just yet. Uh, so we do have uh, some significant opportunity for additional federal and state funding based on the fact that we still have a significant number of unfunded, unserved and underserved areas. So we anticipate um, we anticipate rapid passage and rapid rulemaking of the uh, infrastructure bill to get that $65 million allocated for broadband out to us, out to projects like ours uh, that are ready to spend that money to bring real change into people's lives. Now, and, and have you do you, have you settled on a uh, uh, service tiers and pricing and so forth? We, we have uh, proposed pricing that our board has not finalized yet. Uh, we will be offering right now, our service tiers are at one gig, 400 megabits and 100 megabits per second. Uh, we are using an XGS pond solution, so we're not limited to being up to offering that one gig. We can go up higher than that. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have, like any builder, we have excess fiber in our network. So if somebody really wants to have an 80 gig circuit, we'll put the DWDM in and give them an 80 gig circuit. They will pay us dearly for it. We'll do it for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Wow. Now, are you are, now? Is it will be internet only? Or are you offering triple play services? We're going to be offering a triple play service. We do have our internet. Uh, our internet is ready to go. We we partnered with a voice uh, a VoIP provider, um, and uh, we're ready to roll with with them. It's it's public knowledge that we partnered with Alianza to do our VoIP services. Uh, we're still casting about to find the right solution for video. Our age demographic here on the south coast of Oregon runs about 20, 15 to 20 years older than the age demographic across the United States as a whole. And if you thought about it deploying a broadband network 15 years ago, you would not imagine doing it without video. Right. And that's the marketplace we're in right now. We believe that we're going to have to provide a traditional broadcast video type of model for about 10 to 15 years before our marketplace transitions wholly to a streaming model. Mm -hmm. Well, just as, you know, 80, 85 years ago or so, the cooperatives were the, the heroes in bringing electricity to parts of America that that didn't have refrigerators yet and, and, and those kind of things. And, and the cooperatives, I think, are really at the forefront of in the broadbandification of the country right now. And um, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, we thank you for your work. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, we, we'd like to be checking back in with you from time to time as you, you know, light up your first customers and 
and and you know as the build out continues but uh thank you for for joining us and we hope to talk to you soon sometime soon thank you and i'm going to say thank you for being here i have i have uh had a long standing uh on and i have had a long standing relationship with christopher uh and the work that i've been trying to do with broadband development over the decades and i have been incredibly grateful for the resources that i have found here at this site and in these podcasts uh, this has always been an incredibly valuable resource for me. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to contribute some back. And you're, you're so right about Chris. We, we, we do miss him. He, he will be back. And, and we thank you for your courage to, to, to be actually our first um, guest where we actually talk net, network stuff and, and, and network builds um, w- without Chris here. So um, uh, y'all did fantastic work with that. <laughs> He's gonna have to start watching his back. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's right. what we want to hear. <laughs> Thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org/broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening.